welcome back everyone to the Railovers podcast and I, I, I really hope everyone enjoyed like that bonus episode that we did where we covered the entire series of Ted Lasso but we're back on our train where we're covering all the movies in the Letterboxd Top 250 and joining me today I, I'm just going to introduce him like right away he's a really great friend and it, also it's his birthday today he just randomly said Please. when we, he got on this call Neff <laughs> Co-host of, of the One with the Films podcast, Neff. Happy birthday and welcome to the Thank Real you. Podcast. So, it's, how, it's how a you pleasure doing to be here. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, it's 11 a.m. my time, so I woke up about an hour ago uh, mm-hmm. and I had breakfast and I went through the birthday messages and now I'm here. Um, and so, like, I don't think the day gets much better than that. It doesn't get much better, especially since we're talking about the next film and in the, the Letterbox series that we're doing. And that film is my favorite film and your favorite film as well. And that is the 2017 Pixar animated classic, Coco. Uh, it is, without a doubt, um, my favorite Pixar film. Like, they just, yeah. Like, yeah. Nothing nothing compares. Nothing holds a candle to this film. Yeah, I, I've rewatched this film only twice. And when I when I rewatched it for this podcast, I realized why I haven't rewatched it more times. Just because... I was just a complete mess after 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 watching this, but a <laughs> mess in a good yeah, uh, a mess in a good way. But before we get into that, I always like to get into a little segment that we call that I like to call what we've been watching. So Neff, since you're since you're the birthday boy, let's go. <laughs> let's let let's kick off with you first. What have you been watching recently? So um, I came up with a challenge for myself that I failed, but I got really close to. Um, it was about a month ago that I looked at my letterbox and I was like, I've seen 72 films and my birthday's in 28 days. Like, can I do a hundred films before my birthday? Cause last year I watched and I logged 89 films in letterbox. And I was really proud of that. I was like, man, that's crazy. And then I realized that I've done that, if not more um, this year. And I have, I've, you know, well exceeded that. As of last night, um, I locked in 94 films before my birthday. So six films off. Uh, I'm going to go see Flash tonight, so that'll make 95. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so I've been watching a lot of stuff. But most recently, um, I'll go through my most recent activity. I, I watched The Woman King yesterday, mm-hmm. which was, like, everything I wanted Black Panther to be. I remember watching Black Panther and leaving going, oh, that was all right. This is cool. And then I was watching this film, and I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was badass. Uh, I loved it. Um, I also rewatched Coco. Um, I got to see The Little Mermaid. I've watched the Matrix films for the first time. Um, for the well, first, sort of time. first time, <laughs> yeah. Like I know of them through like pop culture osmosis, you know. And um, I had seen number one all the way through, but like didn't pay heaps of attention to it. And then mm-hmm. two and three, I had just never really touched because everybody said they suck. So I've finally been getting through those again. Uh, mm-hmm. which is great. I love Matrix 1. That is a masterpiece by all definitions of the word. Like that is as close to a perfect film and sci-fi film as it comes. Um, and then I got to watch The Matrix Reloaded, which was also really good, like better than I expected it to be. That that action sequence in The Matrix Reloaded on the freeway is like, no spoilers, but <laughs> no I spoilers remember seeing... for a 20-year-old film. Yeah, true, but, but it's... I remember sitting in the theater watching that action sequence, just like having it come into my eyeballs. It was like absolutely incredible. Yeah. um, It's mental. And even seeing how they, 
I think they filmed that in Australia, but they like made a whole like fake uh, highway so that they could do it. It's like, it's impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I've been trying to get through those hundred films and it got really close. Um, as we go back, I saw The Departed for the first time. So we watched that for one with the films this week. Mm-hmm. Um, we had my two credits, shout out to him, um, bring on Infernal Affairs and The Departed. And we did like a double feature back to back, which was it's really a great cool. episode, by the way, everyone should go Thank check you. that out. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like we love doing what we do. Um, it's great. And then uh, I'll, I guess for your guests, like what we do on One With The Films is um, the whole purpose behind it is to, I guess, rather than um, like circle jerk the film bro movies and be like, yes, did you know this happened in Pulp Fiction? We're like, we want to just introduce each other and other people to new things. So mm-hmm. we invite guests that we've met through tiktok you're actually going to be on the podcast in a few weeks time as well i'm really excited for your episode um but we invite guests and friends that we've got from tiktok and me and my co-host movie man opinions um we just show each other films that the other person hasn't seen before and then we sit and talk about it for a little while um and we've been able to we're on our 26th episode um so we've watched about 20 new films through that that neither of us had ever seen before and some wild stuff like yeah if you are struggling to figure out what you should watch next definitely check out one with the films because it's going to give you a lot of recommendations for for for, for sure i told i would told i totally recommend one with the films like, like you guys are doing really great work over there and just like just i love podcasts especially not trying to toot our own horns right but like what we do here at the real lovers podcast it's like like i when I was looking at the top 250, I realized how many films on that list that I didn't watch because I didn't go yeah. to film school. And so I just decided to like make it like a challenge for myself and yeah. and just kind of like, and basically just go through the entire list, start from 250 and go all the way to one. And the, like one thing- What number that, is Coco? Coco, here's the thing about Coco uh, that made, it kind of made me sad a little bit is that it's not no longer on the list anymore. It's a, it's a 4.2 average on Letterboxd right now. Yeah. I'm changing that because I made rated it of five stars again. So uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully it'll come back in the list. But uh, yeah, that's like, that's kind of like the one issue that I'm having like with the series. But I feel like once they're in the list, like they're still there. Yeah. Uh, so uh i'm just excited to talk about coca again like that that's the thing so yeah i mean i was writing my review for it for letterbox yesterday and i was really unpacking a lot of my feelings for the film that like it was a very um unique experience for me going and watching this in the theater because i remember seeing the trailers for it and going that's really cool and i come from a latin american family i'm not necessarily mexican but um because of the kind of latin american that i am it was really difficult for people in australia to kind of know what that was so when mm-hmm. I tell people that my family's from El Salvador, they would be like, what is that? So I just be like, ah, Mexican. So <laughs> somehow I had aligned with Mexican for such a long part of my life that, uh, I don't know, like for me, when I saw this, I was like, oh, that's my family. Uh, and obviously a lot of the culture is very similar because when you look at El Salvador, it's Central America, which is literally like directly above, mm-hmm. well, yeah, directly above or directly below Mexico. I can't remember off the top of my head. It's, still, it's, um, it's in the same region, r- roughly. Yeah, roughly, they're, like, roughly, they're so. like sister countries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one just makes significantly better cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, redacted? I mean, <laughs> redacted? <laughs> um, yeah. But go back to like what you've been watching, that's pretty much That's pretty much it? Like, um, you're, you're... Yeah, I've been trying to get through... Um, 
like we said, those those hundred films, and I could go through the list of hundred films that I've watched this year, but recently it's those few. Mm-hmm. Um, I started getting through some of the old. Oh, I can't remember his name. Um, the guy who did uh, Breakfast Club. Oh, um, John, is it John Hughes? John, John Hughes, Hughes, yeah. So yeah. I was recommended a bunch of his films, uh, which was great. Um, and so I got to Breakfast Club for the first time, which I'd never seen before. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so a lot of the films that I've been checking out over the last few months have been things that I'd, I've never seen. Um, I got to watch all of the Oscar-nominated live-action and animated shorts in mm-hmm. theaters this year as well, which was really cool. Um, and I can recommend most of those. My Year of Dicks, fantastic. And The Ice Merchants. Incredible. Absolutely incredible, like My Year of Dicks. Like a film that I would never have imagined, like based on the title alone, I wouldn't have like enjoyed just because it's like, it's such an out there title, but it's beautifully animated and just yeah. like, yeah, I, I, I loved it. So um, it's uh, it played last in the theaters. And he was like, if you have kids under the age of 18, you need to leave now. Yeah, exactly. I was like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Right. Um, um, but yeah. Yeah, but that's, that's kind of it. Um, I finished Barry. Um, which was brilliant. No, no, uh, no spoilers. I, I won't spoil anything. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't I've... gotten to the end of Succession just yet. Um, mm-hmm. I'm working up the courage to dive into that and finish yeah. that off um, and finish Ted Lasso, obviously. Which, okay, since I just did a bonus episode on that, I have to ask your thoughts on just like, because I hear a lot of mixed things about that about that finale. So. Yeah. I I don't think I loved the finale. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um but to me, it just felt like I was explaining to my little brother. I was saying that if you'd asked me at the start of the series, what do I think is going to happen in the finale? I reckon I could have given it to you beat for beat. <laughs> and so I kind of, I wanted to be uh, like, you know, shocked, uh, taken away, like bowling my eyes out. But I was just kind of like, no, it's nice. It's not bad. It's just kind of, I wish that they tried to push the envelope a little bit more. That's all. It's, it's like you what you expected. Yeah, exactly. And so like that doesn't make it bad, you know, like it's it's fine. It's just um yeah, I would have liked I, a little bit more. It's what I expected too and I stated this on the previous episode, but it's it it, it felt like the writers throughout the season wanted to explore so many more like storylines, like explore like Sam's storyline, explore like Nate's storyline, but Jason Sudeikis has gone on record multiple times saying that this is a three season like show because it it takes a lot out of him because he has to shoot in London and like, he's away from his family and like, he just wanted to like, he just wanted to like see his family again. So it's like Ted Lasso life. Yeah, exactly. And I, I see it as like the writers were trying to basically like, they kind of like they threw everything against the wall for season three and they were like, Oh crap, we got to wrap all this up. It's mm. somehow and so but sort of leave it open for spinoffs it's it's like it, the, the whole thing is kind of like messy especially with like the writer strike going on like apple yeah. tv like posted like oh uh posted like an image of nate roy and and uh beard like all standing together like oh new era and i'm like is that a new season or are you just <laughs> like being cheeky or something like that it's just like yeah it's it's all really, very weird um... I was really uh, like taken aback by Nate's story. That did not go the way I expected it to go, um, just in general. Um, I thought that his story arc in season three was was really good, uh, really well done. And, of course, Jamie, 
I thought it was interesting that a lot of stuff was handled off screen. Like, uh, mm-hmm. obviously, end of season two, we had Rebecca and Sam, and they come back and nothing's there. And then at the end of season two, you've also got Roy and Keely, and you come back and they're not together anymore. And it's like, what? Yeah. I mean, I get it. I, it all makes sense. But, like, I would have liked to see what those conversations looked like. Like, the show does a phenomenal job of having these brilliant interactions between its main cast that, like, I feel robbed that I didn't get to see that. Yeah, and the one thing I didn't really care, like, to kind of, like, tack on what you said about Nate is that when Nate just, like, spoilers for Ted Lasso, (laughs) I guess, when when Nate just, uh, like, quit his job, like, halfway halfway through the season, like, it Mm. starts with, like, I think it was, like, episode seven starts with that. I was so... Like, uh, I, I was kind of like, okay, I, I guess we're going here. I thought there was going to be, like, some sort of wrap-up like that, except instead of you just kind of like, I'm done here. And it's kind of yeah. like, it kind of it kind of threw me off a little bit. But I don't know. I felt it, like... Yeah, it seems like... And what I've found with TV recently is that um, showrunners are really loving the four-season, um, like, run. And it feels almost like they tried to cram two seasons into one just to finish it in three seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know... I mean, sometimes that works. I talk about Majora's Mask all the time where I'm like, that was going to be a seven-day cycle and they crammed it all into three days and now it's one of the most content-heavy games of all time. Right. But in TV, it's a little bit different, you know, because you can't really take it at your own pace. You've got 12 episodes. You've got to figure it out. Exactly, exactly. But, um, yeah, uh, I, I, uh, but that's all you've been watching. Um, so, and uh, it's kind. Of, yeah. I, I'm sad that you didn't make it to 100 films by your birthday, but you're you're six away. You're pretty close. So yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's halfway through the year. If I can do 200 by this year, like ending, then I'll, I'll be happy with that. I think I think um, you'll get to 200. I think. Yeah, and my goal is because there is still a lot of stuff that I haven't quite um like got to yet, and mm-hmm. so the goal I think is over the next six months or yeah um i'm gonna try and set like a theme for each month and go i want to get through all of the old samurai films i want to get through all the old western films i want to get through all the hitchcock films and Mm -hmm. kind of work through it in stages so i can really start ticking off some of those classics that i should love considering i you know tell people i'm a film buff and a film nerd and i haven't i've seen one hitchcock film so don't at me (laughs) yeah but here's the thing about that it's like i it's I don't think that there should be like if you love film, then you love film. Like yeah. there shouldn't be like a number of film, number of certain types of films that y- you should see before you become like a real lover. I guess we, I can yeah. use that. So it's just like, uh, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I just don't like like any of like that discourse like online when people are like, "Oh, you haven't seen that film," uh, yeah, and, and kind of like putting people down like. I like one of like one of my mutuals like on Twitter they always said like you never shame anyone but mm. you never shame anyone for not watching a film you recommend it. You'd be like, "Oh, yeah. you haven't seen this? Like, you should check this one out." I th- you, since you like this film, I think you would like this one. So it's like That's interesting, of, yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, uh I haven't really been watching much this week, but uh I I've only been watching like four films, but I guess I'll start with like kind of like the bad and then go into the good. Yeah, hit me. Uh, I'll um, like I, I saw White Man Can't Jump. The, the new Jack one. Ho- yeah, the new one. Um, I've heard on- mixed things. Okay, here's the thing. I think I I liked it a little bit more than everyone else. Uh, like at least w- within my circle. 
Mm-hmm. I thought it was relatively funny. I thought Jack Harlow did a, like was good. He's a charismatic guy. He's very charismatic, and he is like his comedic moments are really great. And if you've like seen like his SNL like bits, like if just look up look up his SNL like hosting gig and just like look at all the sketches that yeah. he did like on you on YouTube, they're they're really great. The dramatic parts, not the greatest. <laughs> like it really like he's not. I know he's like trying to like break into like acting and kind of like. Uh, he's doing like what typical rappers do nowadays, like ludicrous kind of just making that transition from, from the music side into, in, into acting. Mm-hmm. And this is his first, first film since that. And uh, with that, and it's not really like it, like he, he has some work to do. Oh, that's all I have to say. Like, yeah. I, have I feel have like, you watched the show Dave? Okay. Uh, I have not watched Dave. That's been one of my surprise favorites, um, and he was featured on some episodes uh, most recently. Oh, really? They were they were like the Met Gala or something like that, and he was he was pretty good in that. Again, it's not really dramatic; it's more like it's comedic. It is comedic. He's like because it's it's a it's a fictionalized version of like Lil Dicky's story, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, he just kind of uh, what's the word? Uh, he gets compared to Jack Harlow a lot, and so they have like a beef. Uh, and it's it's funny. Oh, that's that's funny. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to check it out. It's just uh, all I've heard about Dave is that it's like it's like the the white Atlanta. I guess. Yeah, like, I was gonna say that it's Atlanta for white people. It, yeah, which I already like Atlanta. I don't really need yeah. like another one of those shows, so I just never checked it out. It but... is. I think when they say Atlanta for white people, it's like um, it's a lot. Well, I suppose grounded isn't the right word because Atlanta is kind of like fantastical in some episodes, but um, like it's silly, it's like mm-hmm. dorky, it's like dorky comedy. Where Atlanta is, yeah, I suppose like I don't know, they are they are similar, <laughs> they are yeah. similar. It's like less Atlanta for white people and Atlanta with a white protagonist. So um, yeah, that makes it better or worse, uh, but it's just different. Uh, and there's something really poignant about. I am making jokes about my dick for half an hour every week for three years, but somehow I'm going to make you cry and I'm going to call you out in some of your, what's the word? Like I feel very called out by the show because uh, um, uh, Lil Dicky's character has ADHD. Um, and like, this is a big thing that he's constantly like trying to figure stuff out. Nothing makes sense. And I've always just been like, I relate to this guy so much. It's so crazy. And then literally Last night I was diagnosed with ADHD and I was like, God damn it. <laughs> damn it. So best uh, birthday present ever. Right. <laughs> it just just finding out more about yourself. That's the best yeah, birthday present. Yeah, exactly. And so the show is um especially the last few episodes, um like I was just sitting there going, like, my God, like this is this is me, dude. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Except I'm not famous. But yeah. It's a surprisingly deep and poignant show. And particularly as you get to the end of each season, each season starts kind of silly and you're like, where's this going? And by the end, you're like, shit, like wild. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have to check it out. But White Man Can't Jump, like, I feel like it's just fine. Like, I don't yeah. think, like, all the people out there that are saying, like, this is the worst thing ever. Like, ever, go watch the, like, the 1990 version uh, uh, with Woody Harrelson. Like, I haven't seen that version in years. I, I'm, I'm going to do a rewatch and, like, probably next week or something like that uh cool. b- but it, 
the cinematography in this film, like it's really great. And like the way it represents like LA in like a new and unique way, I thought was mm-hmm. really refreshing. And like, I felt like all the, like the, the, like the race relations that was loved by like, like the first film, like it's basically like breaking down like those barriers between like black culture and white culture. I feel like it tries to like, I feel like it tries to do that in in this remake, uh, I'll, I'll have to like judge like how like the 1990 version like when I rewatch that, but I feel like it does it fairly well like for this remake, and I had a I had a really good time. It was it's yeah. it's it's totally forgettable, but I'm not I'm not like sad that or mad that I watched, watched this. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was thinking on your previous point that you mentioned about it just being fine and people talking about how like it's garbage, and I think mm-hmm. that that's a very common thing, particularly in, particularly in like the TikTok discourse where something like it has to be the best or it has to be the worst and they're mm-hmm. not okay with just films that are just okay and it's like i watched a little mermaid recently mm-hmm. and it was fine i didn't love it to be honest um but i'm not mad that i watched it like yeah, yeah it was fine <laughs> um i got to see in the theaters it's pretty um all of uh ariel ariel and all her sisters are baddies it was wonderful <laughs> seeing them on screen my god Harvey has some elite man juice i'm telling you <laughs> <laughs> just like he, he's able to just spit out every single race just every single race just I, like... I don't know apparently there's some kind of like lore in there as well that it's got something to do with like he goes to an area of the planet and like i don't know like mates with the local flower and births out of per- i have no idea somebody's saying something about this i i need to like I I need like this fan fiction just like <laughs> like that that's... yeah it needs to exist yeah it needs to exist but um... um but yeah long story short it is okay for films to be fine you know mm-hmm. and, yeah and like can we just go back to saying films are fine instead of like oh it's mid because oh man, like, I hate mid <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so mid this movie's so mid I'm like it's it that's TikTok culture right there like yeah. exactly TikTok culture where it's like. It's either the greatest thing or the, like the worst thing ever, or it's mid, and it's just like, yeah. But white man. I'm sorry if you start hearing some purring through the microphone. My cat's decided to come and hang out. That's adorable. That's adorable. <laughs> That's adding to the podcast. So, uh, it's just her butt. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, white man can jump. You can stream it now on Hulu. Uh, if you have a Hulu subscription, it's 90 minutes. Give it a shot. Um, the <laughs> next one. Nice. The next one uh, that was. I'll, it, it, I'll say again, it was just fine and had a really good time with it. Is Transformers: Rise of the Beasts? Um, I'm pumped for that. It doesn't come out until August. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> like, Actually, that's... no, no, not August. Uh, July. Okay. Like, early July it comes out here, and I'm well, like, next it's... month. So. Yeah, it's yeah frustrating. I was literally going to plan to go and see it like today on my day off, and then I went to look for tickets, and it's like, nope. I'm like, okay. Fuck me, I guess. Yeah, Sorry, can it's, we swear on real life? yeah, you can swear. Swear. Okay, cool. Fuck yeah, you Fuck can me, swear. No, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Transformers: Rise of the Beast. Uh, it's coming off of like the success of Bumblebee. It's basically a prequel to that film, and it's starting like this new prequel trilogy or whatever. It's like it's not has nothing to do related to like the Michael Bay Transformers, but it's like starting this new trilogy and yeah i'd relatively I kind of confused by the the timeline for it because yeah like the originals you've got one to like is it the last um the last night is that all one series like five six films yeah it's that's all that's all one series so yeah the new, and then we the go new... to bumblebee which is like a soft reboot 
Mm-hmm. And this takes place after Bumblebee? Yeah, uh, it, this takes place before Bumblebee. Because oh. it takes place in 1990. Like, or kind of like right around that same era. Uh, uh, I think it's like maybe... Wasn't Bumblebee 60- like 80s? Um, I thought it was night. I thought it was like the nineties, wasn't it? Um, I'm pretty I'm not sure. I don't remember. Yeah, I did really I like know. that though. Yeah, uh, Bumblebee was really great. It was one of my favorite f- f- favorite films when it came out that year. Uh, Rise of the Beast. The Steelbook. Oh, nice, nice. This one came with a comic as well. I think there's a comic in here. That that's awesome. Yeah. I um, love But uh, Rise of the Beast is like like I'll I'll just say it again. Like it, it's fine. It, it, it yeah. but the thing about Rise of the Beast is that I don't really remember anything about it. Like mm. there, the, there's stuff that happens, and it, immediately when I walked out, I totally forgot like everything. <laughs> and I'm just like, that doesn't bode well for like, like them trying to like reboot this series. Like I, I mm-hmm. thought that um, Anthony Ramos did a really great job, but every single time he was on screen, I expect I expected him to like, like belt out like a, like a like a. Lin Manuel Miranda song, like yeah. which probably would have added to my experience of watching Transformers: Rise of the Beast. But I, I think that there's something interesting to be said about those Transformers films because, like, it seems like they don't have the confidence to just do a full-on robot film, and mm. I feel like that's all all of us want. Like, if they just did like a War on Cybertron film, mm-hmm. I would love it. You know, and just like dive into. You don't have to film anything. Like, if anything, just make it almost like a. a a highly produced animated film, essentially. The entire thing is CG. Think like Avatar. Mm-hmm. Um, I reckon that would just pop off. Because it's always like the human aspect of the Transformers films is always like the worst part. Yeah. It, like, um, the, they're like, like America, the, military. Like we, That's the part that's like, why you like this? Well, the, like the human aspect in like this film and even Bumblebee, I feel like it's a little bit stronger just because Bumblebee mm. was kind of like a boy and his dog. I did dog. like it in Bumblebee, yeah. Like it was like a boy and his dog like type of story where it's like Haley Steinfeld like just like stumbles on like and uh on Bumblebee and they kind of like grow like this relationship which is like way better than the Shia LaBeouf kind of like basically that you his dad buying him Bumblebee (laughs) and then he's being Bumblebee's being forced upon like this relationship like yeah Haley Steinfeld it was more like it was more organic like here it's it's a little it's it's a little bit more organic but the way (laughs) I don't really want to give too much away since you haven't seen it, but it it feels it it feels a little bit wasted. I feel like Anthony Ramos is a little is a little bit uh, wasted, like in like this film, which is disappointing because I want him to succeed. I don't want him to yeah. just do musicals like the entire time. Which I I love him in like those movies, but just like I want him to expand and like do other stuff. But um. It like Transformers: Rise of the Beast, like it's fine. But uh, let's move on to. Yeah, and then a, a bunch of friends that went and saw it. Most of them spoke pretty highly of it. They said at least that it was it was fun. They had a good time with it. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty keen to see it. Yeah. Uh. But uh, moving on to like the two films that were really great, uh, is Sanctuary. I've seen uh, Sanctuary. I, I don't even know when it's showing here. Like I've been looking for it since I heard about it. I was like, this is a film for me. I want to watch it. And then I saw your review, and I was like, damn it! I have no idea. I don't think it's going to come out here. I might have to like. Are you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't want to spoil too much about it. Like, if you've seen it, it's basically I'll just say it's like a dominatrix like film where huh. it's I'm sold. Just like I like just and it's a dominatrix film with uh oh shoot Christopher Abbott and uh what's the girl's name shoot um sexy y- yeah 
<laughs> she she is very good looking in this. But the thing that I loved so much about this is that it there's a lot of like horror like elements in it. Yeah, where it's stu- w- the way stuff is revealed. It's 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 there to kind of like scare you and keep you on edge. And that Pumped. kept me that that kept me going throughout the Sexy entire Sexy horror. I'm sold. Yeah. It's it's so it's so good. That's a, basically all I'll say about it. Uh I think it's coming out here. I think it's going to be available on VOD here real soon. Uh so I don't know about Australia if like how does VOD work for Australia? Is it like day and It's pretty days? much the same. It's just different um yeah, like just different uh what's it called? Um like not productions, distributors. Um, okay. But like, yeah, usually I'll be able to find it through YouTube or Apple TV or something like that. Or or uh, uh, Pirate Bay. What? Huh? It's blocked <laughs> in Australia. <laughs> oh, wait, what? It's, it's blocked a... in Australia. That's... No, I... It's okay, though. We've got a VPN. Yeah, VPN. Just VPN. <laughs> this this podcast is sponsored by Ex- Express VPN. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm, just kidding. <laughs> oh, I'm waiting for the day I get a sponsorship from somebody. I'm just I'm waiting to be like, hey, guys, I'm a sellout. Um, thank you for watching. I know I, I, if you've seen like my TikTok videos, I'm surprised that Universal hasn't been like, just promote Fast 10 Part 2. Just like... <laughs> uh, one of my friends uh, has just started a campaign to become the official... Um, spokesperson for Skeleton Crew, um, which he's been <laughs> obsessed with forever. And we were at Star Wars Celebration together and he got mm-hmm. to see the trailer and I was like, how you feeling? Um, yeah, but he was at Oz Comic Con this weekend making videos about it. You see my cat in the shadow here. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, The cat just wants to be a part of the show. Totally. She does. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's that that that's great. I, I just love like um, in the age, of the, interne- uh, the age of the internet where you can just kind of like say hey i'm gonna push to do this like and that then you have the ability to do that and um but yeah if universal you're listening uh fast 10 part two get me get me to the world premiere I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah um but it, sanctuary the fact that they're calling it fast 10 part two is <laughs> mind-blowing to me i think they should just call it fast 10 part de because <laughs> the director that is uh, louis uh Lettier, he's uh he's french so it should just be like French New Wave, Fast and Furious, which would just be bu- like bazonkers, like Amazing. absolutely bazonkers. But yeah, Sanctuary available on VOD very soon. Check it out. It is hot, raunchy, sexy, horrific. <laughs> just if you're if everything that uh, I want. everything if that's everything you want, then you'll love Sanctuary. Um, but the last film that I watched is Missing, the follow up film to Searching. The I'm going I I coined this on, on follow up film like are they like connected? They're not connected. It's just the I'm calling I coined this term on on uh on Twitter. It, uh, I'm calling them the screen series. Basically, okay. basically are they films, by the same director? It it's they're the it's not the same director, but they produced it. Like gotcha. Yeah, but uh, okay. these films basically take place entirely on screens. Like if you haven't seen Searching, see Searching. Searching is I haven't seen Searching, but I have heard fantastic things. It's you, you got to see it. You got to see it. It it's basically just kind of it's it's like a it's a heist film kind of like in a thriller film kind of like rolled all uh, rolled all into one, and it all takes place on screens. And the way like you know like the our, some of our biggest like pet peeves like when watching films and you see like a computer screen and how that it's so unrealistic on how like. The, they're even like 
operating <laughs> like that computer. Like yeah. here, it's like they actually did it, and like some of like some of the things that happen in missing where uh, basically basically the whole uh, premise is that that they they establish like this relationship between this mother and the, the this daughter, and the mother gets taken captive, and mm-hmm. the daughter is basically like looking back through like her her emails like getting access to emails and stuff like that and all all of like the story developments are like through the screen and it's riveting it's riveting because you you want to know like what happened to like this girl's mother it's different too yeah like um there was a film i saw recently called spree with joe keery which also like it's all filmed as if he was inside like an uber with all his cameras so it's like you're you're watching the live stream of what Mm -hmm. he's doing you're not actually watching a movie about him which was a very interesting way to to deliver that story right yeah it's uh it's i I know that because i don't yeah i don't i won't spoil it but i know like a lot of these like kind of like like found footage and also kind of like like just thriller like movies like about like people being taken captive like a lot of like the stuff that's happening in it could be like triggering to a lot of people and very upsetting but after seeing missing i want to see more of these to be honest like i don't want to like these like maybe you gotta make one molly maybe you gotta make one i i I, know maybe i should maybe i should but it's it's a I, I just all you find... need is OBS. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just record your computer screen. Be like, yeah. right, I'm just gonna like Google this girl that I really like and stalk her. <laughs> yeah, it's a short film called uh, Marley the Rizzer. <laughs> <laughs> Marley Rizzer's film. Marley loves yeah. Riz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, Missing is uh, basically just a really great thriller. And mm-hmm. like it had me on the edge of my seat, seat, and just like my palms are like sweating by the end, by the, by the end of it. It was just like absolutely riveting, really well, like like re- really unique, and just like just te- being limited by like screens and stuff like that, and just mm-hmm. telling a gripping story just like that. Like, uh, but you can missing right now, I believe, is on Netflix at least here in the United cool. States. Yeah, uh, so people can check that out. But yeah, that's pretty much all I've been watching. Anyways, let's get into our main review, and that is Coco. Every year, grandkids, cousins, pretty much everyone gets together, even great-grandma Coco. And the winner is... Luchadora Coco! I tell her pretty much everything. I used to run like this, but now I run like this, it's just way faster. Life sounds like... Miguel, eat your food. Here, have some more. No, gracias. <gasps> I mean, see? <laughs> That's what I thought you said. That was from the trailer from Coco, the 2017 film directed by Lee uh, Uncrunch. Uh, he also directed Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3. Uh, I'm just going to read the synopsis here from IMDb for the audience. Um, despite his family's baffling generation, generation's old band, uh, old band on music, Miguel dreams of becoming an accomplished musician like his idol, Ernesto de la Cruz. Desperate to prove his talent, Miguel finds himself in the stunning and colorful land of the dead following, following a mysterious chain of events along the way. He meets a charming, charming trickster Hector, and together they set off an extraordinary journey to unlock the real story behind Miguel's family history. Mm. Naf. I'm gonna let since you're since you're the since you're the birthday boy since you're the birthday boy, uh, 
let's I, I just want you to gush about this film just like just gush about it yeah yeah well first i wanted to say um i got uh this steelbook of coco mm-hmm. which we can kind of see in the camera there mm-hmm. um which oh. is one of my favorite ones in my entire collection it is mm-hmm. it is gorgeous and so are my nails um it's a... <laughs> They're fabulous. But this is one of my fabulous. favorite ones in my collection. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I did them with the intention of being fabulous. It's pride, you know. We gotta right. <laughs> gotta show Happy up. Happy pride. Happy pride. Which I'll I'll just say that the, like the last two films that I recorded, like we're doing Coco like today for uh, it's June it's June thirteenth, and then I just recorded RRR. Like two, yes. they're not ascent. They're not technically like. LGBT films, but like Coco is is essentially about identity and like mm. kind of discovering yourself and kind of yep. and coming to the coming to terms like like what you are meant to be and like having your family kind of like accept like who you are. Like yeah. I feel like there it's it's not technically an LGBT film, but I I but it is like it, is. it, it, it really <laughs> is. And then RRR yeah. RRR is. Two is basically just about two it's a love men. Story. It's yeah, it's a love story. It's two men. <laughs> it's a love story. Yeah, it, it's about two men that are okay with kind of like being being to uh, being with each other and like having like just healthy masculinity, like healthy yeah. mascul- well, masculine relationships, and it's yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say that I think that um that's something that I've tried to cultivate in my like friendships and relationships as well, mm-hmm. like. It, <sighs> If people don't think that me and my best friend are gay together, then like we're not we're not best friends. And you'll see, like from my relationship with like Kia, we are very very close. And even with my friends that are in Australia as well, I'm like I am somebody who just loves holy, and I'm like I don't I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was one of the reasons I really loved like you know for example like Lord of the Rings back in the day, where I was like, why is it weird to want to like hug your friends and be close to them? And just like like what like this is just it's just love and love is the same. So um, Sam yeah, and Frodo, but, Sam and Frodo, you're, you're referring exactly <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> um, you know there were many cold nights where they snuggled up naked under those covers. Uh, yeah, uh, to- totally. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure uh, J.R. Tolkien intended that for sure. I want I want um, the spinoff. That's well, I remember seeing that um a lot two of two ideas. <laughs> Too nice. Um, too right. Um, I remember seeing that his explanation of like those characters and their relationships came from the fact that like when you're at war for years, like this is this is all you have. It's just these other people around, and you kind of learn to be like, you know, do we need that from people? Like that kind of like just affection and like kind of like unadulterated just love. Um, but I think that you're absolutely right. Um, I also want to say. This poster on this side is not mirrored. <laughs> this is one of the most beautiful posters they've designed. It is so good. And it's like during that time when everybody was making those, you remember the Noah poster? <laughs> oh, like yes. He's just facing yes. backwards. And it's like, it's epic. I'm not looking at the screen, but it just I'm works. Edgy. I'm oh, edgy. Well I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Um, it. I was going to say that um, you're right in the sense that, like, it does have kind of underlying tones of, like, an LGBTQ film. Um, mm-hmm. Because especially watching it this time, the most recent watch, I was like, yeah, like, you can really see the that it could be, you know, you remove family and you, sorry, you remove music and put, you know, um, queerness into it and you remove mm-hmm. 
um, like the hate of music and you make it like a religious family. It's like, this is an experience that a lot of people have had. Um, mm-hmm. Where it's just, this is the way things are, man. We don't, we don't live life like that. This is how life is lived. This is normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the film does a very good job of very subtly touching on those points where if you want to look into it, you can see it, but not every person is going to sit down and go, oh yeah, this is a film um, about this. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And like I feel like, like it, this film is directed by Leon Critch. Like he's not Latin American. He's not. Mm. Uh, and I feel like that's probably like when this movie came out, like this is, it was probably one of like the criticisms towards it is that they, they needed like to have like someone like from, like from, from that heritage to kind of like dive deep into it. But like one of the interesting things is like before we started recording is like, there's this article on the verge where, uh, they interviewed Leon Critch like back in the day, kind of like talking about like his experience and how he would like he was in, like filled with anxiety, like of like the immense pressure of him directing like like this film because he wanted to make sure he what it was authentic, like uh, authentic yeah. like like Latin American, uh, Mexican like uh, like uh, experience just because. Yeah. Uh, so and Pixar is also very well known for doing heavy amounts of research before starting like their film. Like I remember finding Nemo finding Nemo was, uh, they became fish for like 12 months. Yeah. They became fish for 12 <laughs> months. And also like, one guy cut his hand off just so he could figure out what it was like to swim with one small. Well, limb. No, they, I, I remember like, uh, John Lasseter. I know, uh, it's kind of like common to like, not like him anymore because of like certain things, allegations that, that to, well, not allegations anymore. It's like, I guess, like it's actual truth truth now but it's like one of the things that he had like his team do was like basically like like get like a fishing trip and just go out on like the water and just like experience everything take like pictures like everywhere and like one of the things lee uncridge did here is that they went to like mexico city and lived like like families like in mexico and just kind of like took everything in interviewed them like even like his partner uh, Adrian Molina, uh, like he like he's uh, Latin American and uh, he was able to like help him out on that. So like Pixar does like like do like heavy research and they do have like people behind the scenes. But I was yeah. kind of disappointed that it like it wasn't Adrian Molina directing this because it feels like it was yeah. his film to direct. So yeah, you're absolutely right, uh, and it is really interesting that. Um, and I think that. Often when you're watching a film about your culture or what's very close to your culture, you can usually tell when somebody's just kind of like trying to fit in. It's like, you know, when you watch a TV show these days and you can mm-hmm. tell that it's a 40 year old man writing Gen Z characters. Yes. Uh, are, you referring, like, are you referring to, oh. um, are you referring to a shoot? Uh, the, the Riverdale idol? did it really bad for a while. I haven't watched the idol yet, but mm-hmm. I remember there were episodes of Riverdale where I was like, what the fuck am I don't, don't to you, right now? Don't you dare step on Riverdale. Don't you dare. Uh, I, like I was, th- I was hoping you would say re- Euphoria with Sam, Sam Levinson. Yeah, Sam Levinson. Yeah, and what can we say about him? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. What a creep. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I didn't feel at all that this film was just pandering to me for no reason. It felt mm-hmm. very, very, very respectful of that culture. And it felt like <laughs> every person that I've like spoken to, especially when I was younger, 
they're like, you remind me of Miguel. <laughs> like, you look like him. I'm like, guys, no. <laughs> but okay. Um, but like, there aren't many films that I've just gone into and I've been like, I had a very similar experience to Miguel. Like, I was, uh, I wanted to be a musician. Um, I was in a band when I was younger. My parents were very, very um, unsupportive of that and tried to put every roadblock possible so that we weren't able to, um, you know, kind of, uh, succeed there and i was quite young so i didn't really have a choice in that i kind of had to just deal with it i had my older brother who um he was able to sort of stick with it and he's now working in the music industry and still has you know one of the biggest salsa bands in melbourne um mm. and has found some moderate success and i look at him sometimes and i'm like man like i was going to be a part of that at one point but i'm not because i was kind of pushed in the other direction of like nope get out get a job you can't be out past 10 p.m., which means you can't go and do gigs. So, like, mm-hmm. a lot of Miguel's life I really, really related to. Uh, and I couldn't believe it watching this film in the theatres when I did in 2017, just sitting there and going, like, whoa, <laughs> this is wild. So, see, what you just said there, it, it's, it means this is why representation is so so important on every 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 single level. Like, eat, like I... I I for, for for me like growing up like I didn't re- necessarily have to see myself on screen just because mm. I don't like I my value in film is different than uh, than like everyone else is that I I kind of can I can pull things from like uh certain like uh characters in like film and be like oh I can see myself there and stuff like that yeah. but I understand that like that's not everyone and mm. this is why like 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 you just said like sitting like in the theater 2017 watching coco and you're like this is like like i'm already uh, an adult by that time you know that's six mm-hmm. years ago so i'm i'm 22 and this mm-hmm. is a child and i'm going yeah. whoa and what i found was really interesting is i remember that when black panther was coming out and people were talking about the representation in that film because that was kind of where it feels like that really took off mm-hmm. um but i remember kind of being like yeah like i don't i don't really see i get it you know Mm-hmm. I I suppose I get it. Like, yeah, you should have films for you, but like, it doesn't really matter to me because it's not for me. But it was moments like this, and particularly the Latin American representation that came across into Star Wars, which is my favorite space, mm-hmm. that I was kind of like, oh, <laughs> I get it now. And then right. again, in terms of this, I already felt like I aligned with it. And then on the other things that we were talking about, like between watching that when it came out and seeing it now, like I'm like, I'm queer. I'm like, <laughs> it aligns to me even more. I'm like, oh, wow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. Um, right. So, yeah, like, the, the it, it goes to show um, that you don't really know what you don't have until you kind of, like, see it. And for mm-hmm. me, being mostly, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm white passing, you know, like, I'm a little tan, but, like, when I watch Star Wars and I see Luke Skywalker, even though he's blonde hair, blue eyes, I'm still like, hey, it's me. Um, <laughs> but hey, it's a me. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, like you see I still, Chris Pratt I see in myself. Star Wars? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> sorry. How dare you? Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, so I I have still seen myself on screen a lot of the time, but then there was a point where I was kind of like, wow, the main one of the main characters in the Star Wars film, who's the best pilot in the galaxy, is Latino. Whoa. <laughs> right. Um there was a lot more that I was kind of like, okay, I get it now. And now I'm like, I will fight for people, man. Like you deserve to see yourself on screen. And I think similar to what you're saying, 
any person, like any person who's black or Latino or Asian are going to be able to see themselves within aspects of a character. You know, you're going to be able to align with, oh, that's very similar to how I was growing up. And when we talk about like the immigrant experience and particularly being a child of immigrant parents, a lot of it's the same. I've got Asian friends, Latino friends, um, like black friends that are like a lot of similar similarities in how our parents raised us, but it's not identical. So you can kind of get it by watching things like this, um, by watching just generic films. But then when something comes along that feels like it was made for you, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's really difficult to disconnect from that in a way. And I mean that in a positive way. Like, why would you want to? But I'm just like, I'm drawn to this film beyond almost any other film. And, and it's it's really interesting. Like, like we, we really started getting a lot of these films that were drawn to us, like, like especially like millennials that started breaking into like the film industry, like, like and started making. Everyone films, wants like, to tell their story. They're like, "Hey, my parents are messed up in the head. I'm gonna make an animated film about that." Yeah, like, like my parents are messed up in the head. Like they wouldn't make me like make films or like be, become a musician. I'm gonna just like profit off it and stuff like that. It's like <laughs> I'm gonna make I'll show you, them. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna show. I'm gonna show them. You're gonna sit down in the theater. You're gonna pay fifteen dollars, and then you're gonna watch this, and you're gonna cry your eyes out. So, cause, yeah, because it, it was traumatic, and I cried my eyes it's out. Like making my parents watch Encanto, um, and kind oh. of being like, "Ladies, right. you <laughs> exactly, um, exactly." But yeah, the generational trauma has been strong with animated films for the last few years. Yeah, and Pixar has just been—they've been—I feel like they've been riding that train since since the beginning. Like to be honest, like with. Like Coco really hit hit me strong with the, like the generational trauma, but like even like I, like even something like Toy Story too. I was just like 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 Andy like growing up and kind of like just kind of like forgetting like his toys and just becoming just just becoming older and stuff like that and just like I don't know. It's just like they've they've always tugged at the heartstrings with like that ty- with that type of stuff. So. I think Toy Story 3 was also a film that like came at like the perfect time. Mm-hmm. Like we were all in the space that Andy was in at that time. You know, it's like mm-hmm. most of us that like that are millennials and pretty similarly aged, you know, between like sort of the mid to late 20s or early 30s, they were kind of like, yeah, Toy Story growing up was like us. And then feeling that kind of disconnection from your childhood and going, okay, like, I guess I'm grown up now and that's not something that I get anymore. Going and sitting in the theaters and watching Toy Story 3 and going, whoa. <laughs> that right. was that was a very real moment for I think a lot of people. And that's yeah. why that film stands it, above it was, so many others. It was the first Pixar film, to my knowledge, that I full on cried in. Like mm-hmm. like like when they were like spoilers for Toy Story Three, if you haven't seen it by now, like just just whatever <laughs> it like when they're all holding hands like in that fire pit yeah and i'm just like this is it's all coming to uh, coming to an end so let's go go out together and i'm just like ah! <laughs> I'm, yeah meanwhile, it's a moment little... they're like they're trying they're trying they're trying and then it's just looking it's woody trying to get out turning around looking at buzz and buzz just being like let's just hold hands that's right. all we can do Oh, dude, I'll cry just thinking about it. <laughs> me- me- meanwhile, there's a like a five year like a five year old kid sitting right next to me, and he's like, "What's wrong with this guy? Why is he crying in the middle of a <laughs> middle of a movie at the end of a movie about toys?" And I'm just like, "You don't understand." <laughs> yeah. It, well, but... I was actually talking about this. That I think it's something that Coco does really, really well. Um, mm-hmm. that um, it also came 
in a part of my life where I was very much like, you know, I was coming out of my sort of religious childhood and really mm-hmm. coming to terms with like, what does life look like for me? You know, mm-hmm. like, I don't believe what my parents believe. Um, am I just going to die a very sad, lonely death? I don't know. Um, and there was things about this film that even watching again, that like it handles some pretty dark subject matter. Like how many times do you sit down and go, I'm going to watch a movie about with my kids where the enemy is oblivion. Like (laughs) the enemy is being forgotten about beyond anything. Uh, Like it just, I'm just done. I'm gone. Um, that is terrifying, man. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely terrifying. Like the even like the, the like like at the very end of the like I guess we can get into spoilers now for like Coco, but like like the end of the film, like when when uh, when Miguel like finds out that Hector was his uh, like actually like part of his family, and like you like like the whole "Remember Me" song, like I'm tearing up right now, but but. Uh, but that, like when the you last scene with Mama Coco, where he's sitting there and he's just like, Mama Coco, yeah, remember, he, remember he, your papa, right? And he's like, he he pulls out the guitar and she like starts singing, and I'm just like, and then she reveal she reveals that like, like she's she's never for, forgotten like her papa, and yeah. it's like, and, and I'm just like, oh, it, it's so good. It is, and the thing with that as well is. So one of the things that this film does incredibly well is while it may feel like it blindsides you the first time you watch it, mm-hmm. on rewatch, you can see that it is a perfectly crafted and perfectly written masterpiece in how it divulges big plot twists. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 misunderstanding subplot that exists within this film mm-hmm. that we witness through Miguel's lens where he is so, so, so sure that Ernesto de la Cruz is his great grandpa. Mm-hmm. And his family's like, what do you mean? No, like that's <laughs> not a thing. Um, and he's just like, nah, shut up. I know. <laughs> of course yeah. you guys wouldn't think that because you don't think about him anymore. So like, of course you wouldn't like they do such an expert job of having us view the world through Miguel's lens that, you also can't believe that it would be anything else. So mm-hmm. even when you meet um, Hector, it's like, like why why would you think anything else? And it's not until you go back and rewatch the movie later that um, you start to like see all the parts of the story. You know, like they call him Chorizo, and you're like, what are you? What? And then you know, at the end with Ernesto mm-hmm. going, maybe it was that Chorizo, my friend. And you're just like, oh, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know a film's really great when you're just yelling, yelling at the screen. You're just like, God. Ah. <laughs> well, the like, the other really? thing that I think is really um, like the, the thing that I think is fantastic is that because of how Miguel presents the information that he's found to his uh, Mama Imelda, she she thinks exactly what he thinks but it's just they haven't cleared off who they're going to when he's like my great grandpa loved music i'm gonna go and get his blessing instead she thinks he's going to hector (laughs) and she's just like we don't talk about that man and miguel sees that as confirmation of his information and Mm -hmm. it's just like it's so expertly done um yeah and 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 then coming back to hearing like mommy melda sing for the first time Mm -hmm. and that between the bars and even how that's just framed and shot you know where you're like miguel is 
freed by his love for music. And Mama Mm -hmm. still trapped in that history. She's angry. She cannot let go. She's trapped behind these bars. She can't. She's, oh, dude. (laughs) And even like when she starts singing, that, that, like that whole performance turns into like, like a fight between mm. Dela Cruz and uh, what's what what's her name again? Like the uh, Mami Mela. Uh, uh, I it's just it's brilliantly choreographed, like between yeah. between those two because it's like the song is she's, fantastic too. She's performing, but also kind of like kind of like fending for her life against Dela Cruz because Dela Cruz is trying to like get the photo, uh, like the photo of Hector like away from her, and it's just like it's. Like this, this film is so beautifully animated too. Do you think it's like the like the most beautiful like like Pixar film? Like, well, I think that like one ever? of the things that it benefits from, like you know, we look at things like Toy Story three and Toy Story four in particular, pioneered change within the animated industry. You know, I remember watching a video that I was talking to um, Keeks about recently, which talks about how when they moved into the realm where they started animating things like like Toy Story four, mm-hmm. they now use like essentially like fake lenses within the animation programs and like you mm-hmm. have things that you previously couldn't do um in animation that you can now do because they're kind of like have found a way to what's the word like um just like, yeah, reinvent kind of like... yeah like reinvent but i'm also what's the word i'm searching for um my god like <laughs> pioneer like, um like yeah more like um they're able to uh, basically create something that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I suppose pioneer it in a sense, but um, like make something that exists in real life that you mm-hmm. previously couldn't do in animation. Now you kind of can. Um, yeah. It's almost like, as opposed to just animating it, they're filming what they've animated, um, mm-hmm. which is very similar to like what they do in like video game development, where you've got not just with like mocap and stuff, but like in general, like you see when they were doing uh, The Last of Us and um, watching Neil Druckmann talk about the difference where in game development, if he goes, I want a different angle, I can just adjust a little bit. I can change. I can, you know, I can basically fix everything in post. Um, and yeah, like it, it's something that you, you obviously can't do in live action, but then animation is right in between the two. It's an unlimited, it's an unlimited medium. Like it's, yeah. uh, like this is why, this is why animation is a medium. It's a genre. It should be taken seriously. You can yeah. tell the, the exact same stories that you tell in live action, to, um, except you can expand on it. And yeah. one of the things that I, uh, that kind of like uh, tag along like what you said there, like about like just how, how you can like expand on like, just like where you can put the camera and stuff like that. I feel like Pixar learned a lot from cinematography, like when they worked on Wally, because Roger Deakins was like the goat the goat Roger Deakins was he was a consultant on that film. And one of like the things, uh, one of the things that like, like he taught them, he taught them like lighting and just like how to position the camera. And you can really see like all the films, like post Wally, like the animators, like were learning, learned a lot from Roger Deakins and how they kind of like incorporated that into like, like their future films and how they also, got almost got better than Roger Deakins because of like it just like what they can do like within this medium like you just said they can place a camera like in certain areas to like to, like have like a certain have the audience have a certain effect like with the characters yeah absolutely right um and one of the things that I also find just mesmerizing about 
um, like animated films, be it stop motion or computer generated, um, or even hand drawn animation, is that every single thing that you are seeing was intentionally placed. Mm-hmm. And we talk about this in, like, for example, like shows like you know The Bad Batch for Star Wars, where it's like mm-hmm. sometimes you can watch a movie and you can go, "Is it really that deep? You know, is the intention from the director for me to see it this way?" Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it is. Maybe it was an accident. I think a lot of the time um, things are just happy accidents, and they work out. Like you, you see um, Steven Spielberg talk about his process and how he might storyboard the night before, but he goes in early on the day looks at the set and goes, hmm, how am I going to shoot this? I'm going to shoot it like this. And he just figures it out on the day. <laughs> um, it's, it's like... It's wild. With the animation, <laughs> you've got your storyboard and then we're going into your animatics and then we're going into the fully animated version and then we're doing further passes and we're adding particle effects. And like, it is... It's insane. And so it's so impressive that every single thing, every character in the background that has a little bit of movement, somebody worked on that. It's not mm-hmm. just we filmed, we said extras in three two one and then something happened it's like no somebody went there and made that person yeah <laughs> um, and i think particularly when you look at something like stop motion where it's not just you did it in a computer but like we did it by hand mm-hmm. um that escalates even further exactly um, and so that- animation as a medium is just so so impressive Mm-hmm. Um, and so to answer your question, which we kind of beat around the bush quite a bit, I think that you could argue that some films are better animated or like look nicer or more realistic, depending on what you're going for. Mm-hmm. But I would say that this is hands down one of Pixar's most gorgeous films. And it benefits from the fact that half of it is told in a fantasy land, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, Toy Story looks great, but it's in real life. He's literally inside death. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> inside death. I like it's that. just yeah. <laughs> but pull that quote out. Please, he Miguel is inside death, and I'm just yeah. It, it like the day like. Hey, she's day a baddie, dead, bro. Can you blame her? I'm kidding. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> but the Day of the Dead like sequences like really some of the most beautiful things. Like even like how Miguel even gets there. Like when he picks up like his like Hector's guitar. I guess spoilers. It's 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 not yeah. De La Cruz, but uh, he picks up the guitar and like these flower petals like zoom around him and it creates like this bridge to it's like just just well, absolutely amazing like what they do with color in the, in this film and yeah, how like they you're absolutely how, right yeah how they like divide like the like the the day of the dead like world with the with reality and how everything mm. is kind of like popping like a little bit more like things still pop like in like the like in Hector in Hector's world but it's you can kind of see a little bit of flatness like you kind of see it like kind of like like you can you can see you you can see it's grounded that's what I'm trying Mm -hmm. to say it's grounded but but yeah well I wanted to add uh, a little bit on the the story and how like it it um unpacks itself for us early on Mm -hmm. um when we start the film if you haven't gone in with like a trailer for the film and you're sitting and watching it for the first time, it is presenting you with a different film than when you're actually going to watch. Mm-hmm. Like from the start, he's, you know, I love, this is my, my, my past, my family, blah, blah. We work as shoemakers. I love music a little bit. And then it comes out to the um, musician going, Hey kid, I asked for a shoe shine, not your life story. And we're like, ah, oh, that's funny. <laughs> But then the way that that guy says to him, like, hey, man, you know, it's your dream, you know? Like, you got to – there's the thing in the plaza tonight. Like, you got to you gotta play. 
You know, like this is this is this is how it works. And we're presented with Miguel's goal isn't to go to the land of the dead and witness and learn the history of his family. He just wants to play for people. Right. And you can see in those scenes early on, which I also love how they animated those, um, because they're like he's using the the correct frets to play those. Like if you watch the slow motion, you could learn the song as Miguel plays it. Like That's crazy. Um, that's awesome. that's that's nuts. That's it's, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like it's and even yeah, like it's so impressive. Like the way like kind of like adding on to like what you just said about like how this story like unfolds and like it, it like rewatching this like especially like for the second time and I, I, like I'm not sure if you've seen across the Spider-Verse like yeah. uh, or it uh, yeah I'm oh, sure yeah. you yeah. I I saw a lot of similarities to across the Spider-Verse in this film. Like like totally like, especially like when he goes like to the like to the like other uh, other world like mm. uh and you you saw a lot of like just like who Miguel is supposed to be. Miguel is supposed to be like this sh- like shoe, shoe shiner and just like kind of be like that for like for the rest of his life. But un- like Miles, like uh, in Across the Spider Verse, like he like like he's supposed to be like this the certain the the certain Spider Man and like this is like this is yeah. supposed to be like his path. I'm trying to dance around. I'm trying to dance around spoilers, but like, yeah, yeah, totally fair, totally fair. But, but I think um, that what we were talking about early on about how this film is about identity, like the Spider Verse films are that same story. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. at its core, that's that's the 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 crux of a Spider Man story is him going, "What am I meant to be, and what does that mean to me to be that?" Um, but we were talking about how the film kind of presents you with a different story than where it actually goes off, mm-hmm. and it's almost like like it happens by accident, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk a lot about um, a better Cold Soul and how, like Vince Gilligan in particular, talks about how he doesn't see coincidence in film or TV as a negative thing. Like mm-hmm. in general, like he uses coincidence a lot, but his mindset with it has always been: if there's going to be a coincidence, it's not going to save my character; it's going to send him deeper. So the coincidence, rather than going, oh, he got out easily because that person happened to not be there. It's like, no, the person that you didn't want to be there is right there in front of you, and now you've been busted. Now how are you going to get out of it? And it's the same sort of thing. It's like, okay, what am I going to do? Like, ah, there's only one guitar I can find. I'm just going to go get that guitar. They'll understand. It's okay. And Mm -hmm. it's just your family was cursed, my dude. Right. (laughs) Like, it, it was, and you know, you've got Miguel talking to his family going like, yeah, I took my great-great-grandfather's guitar, who he thinks is Ernesto de la Cruz's guitar, but they all know it's Hector's guitar. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it just, oh my God. I just, I love that. I love that aspect of this film so much because it's just so sure of itself and it's so well structured um, in how it delivers that information that until you go back and watch it a second time and you're like, these cheeky fuckers. Right. Um, you, <laughs> they, yeah. Like they knew all along. They knew all along like where they're, where they're going yeah. with this. It- we were talking also about how Pixar films have started to take, um, take from live action in how they, they film things. Mm-hmm. Um, and one scene in particular in this film does that phenomenally. And it's when it becomes like that one take POV shot when Miguel walks into Ernesto's party. It's like I haven't seen something like this in an animated film up to this point where you kind of have this, you know, like 
like a, a one take that's going through and it's a bit of shaky cam. Like it feels like they've animated it and then they've done the Peter Jackson thing of like walking through the animation with the mocap camera and mm-hmm. he's just filming it in person. It's it's insane and it works so well and it's it draws you in so much because it doesn't feel as disconnected from reality as it may have previously. You just feel like, oh, yeah, if I was shooting a party scene of a kid going into the party for the first time and trying to figure out where everything is, mm-hmm. that's how I would have shot it in live action. Right. And they didn't they didn't feel limited like here. Yeah. They, they just did it. They just did it yeah. because they're like we can we, we can do this. Uh one thing that I do like I know we're gushing about this film, but just justifiably so. Like just, like this film is like one of the greater films like 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 ever made. I the like I think the thing, especially on a rewatch, the thing that I struggled with, like with this film, is the second act. Is like when he is in, when he's in like the like the land of the dead, and like he's like disguising himself, and he's kind of like with Hector, but he doesn't really know. Maybe it's just because like I know who Hector is at this point, and I want the film to kind of like get going, and I'm kind of like. I feel like the film kind of like drags a little bit. Where you're when interesting. You're... I I don't know if I'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, obviously, people's experiences are going to be their own. But I suppose the way that I viewed Pixar's storytelling a lot of the time is they very much employ the out of the frying pan into the fire kind mm-hmm. of story. And then you get out of that frying pan and you're into another fire and you're into another one. And Toy Story three and the Toy Stories are like very much that. But I mm-hmm. think that particularly one of the ways that it works for me, the second act is in how we're kind of doing little MacGuffin chases to try and tick off, all right, I need a guitar and then I need to get here and I need to do that. Mm -hmm. But throughout that, it's also doing some very deep world building. Like that's obviously the, while they're looking for the guitar, you get to the space where you're like, oh, this is not as happy as the other place was. Like it is darker here. It is slower here. It is less colorful. Um, and then we meet, um, I can't remember his name, but uh, Churrasco, I think his name was? I, can't I think so. Uh, but yeah, we meet the friend who's now being forgotten and, and Miguel witnesses for the first time, again, oblivion, right? Like what happened? He's like, he's gone. Where? We don't know. He's He was forgotten. Nobody knows him anymore. And it, it kind of just has you go like, Jesus. Such a deep and depressing, like, like the way it's animated when they just disappear, mm. like they they just kind of like flash and then they yeah. just they're, then they're it's just the gone. Thor Ragnarok, um, what's his name, Odin disappearing into the yeah. Um, it's it's like but, really but, 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 really dark for a kids film. To be yeah, honest, dude. it's like and it's also one of those things that as a kid, if you're watching it, you may not feel the implications of that too much. You may go, mm. oh, okay, cool, he's just gone to the next place. Um, yeah. but. I also love that it's it's in its world building. It's also expanding on the, the story a little bit. You know, like you've got Hector up to this point is talking about how he hates music. He doesn't care. Like, you know, and, and in Rewatch, you go, it's because his life was destroyed by music. You know, he lost mm-hmm. his family and then he died before he was, he was able to get back. Like, rough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the thing that he loves so much destroyed him. Yeah. So. And we get to see him play music and we get to see Miguel's reaction to going, wait, this guy is he's so good uh he sings he plays like um yeah and then you get to the sort of that middle part of the middle act where we start to get more music and more songs and man the, the music in this film is so good so good. um we got a question over on the youtube live chat as well from the view with drew 
and he asks, uh, he hasn't seen Coco, but he said, um, he's got a big question. What's a movie you feel gets bashed for the dumbest reason? Oh, like bashed, like just people hate it on? People hate it, yeah. Uh, well, we kind of already talked, uh, touched on this, but uh, Little Mermaid. <laughs> I feel like people hate it on that one because for like very racist reasons. Like people are I like, had a friend, I have a friend who's a who studied as a, a marine biologist, mm-hmm. and he he was the I'm not racist, but she should be bioluminescent, and I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, she should be see through. I'm like, the crab is Jamaican. <laughs> The fish talks. I just, why is that your argument? <laughs> it, it's a Disney film. Dis- it's, 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 it's fiction. It's fiction. Um, it's fantasy. It's like. I could at length talk about The Last Jedi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> you don't have to convince just, me because I love The Last Jedi. So. Yeah, I think particularly for me, I remember having a conversation with like a work colleague where he started pulling out the scientific inaccuracies. And I was like, Okay, so do you want my in-universe answer? Because if you want an in-universe answer, I have it that fits physics. But then also, it's fucking space wizards, dude. Like, I'm sorry that the bombs drop out in space. Like, I I don't know what you want me to tell you, man. Like, there are ships in episode five that crash into other ships that aren't affected by a tractor beam. And it's not necessarily big enough to have a gravitational pull. It's just there. And then you've got the um what's it called the original like the prequels and stuff where ships blow up and what happens when they blow up oh yeah they fall out of space and they don't fall to the planet they just fall down and the planet's here like just don't at me about physics in star wars it doesn't fucking matter yeah exactly these these are these are these are space westerns space westerns they're they're the space cowboys it's just like just 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 have a good time with it and yeah, I don't want to get into a tangent on Last Jedi because we could we could talk for like three hours on this. If you do because... an episode on Last Jedi, I'm in. I yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think uh, that's in the Letterbox Top 250. I don't, I don't uh, it, so. it should be number one. It should be it, number it, one. Just, it should I'm be saying. number one. But um, but the view I, with I, Drew said it's okay if you disagree. But I think people calling Die Hard four bad because of the PG thirteen rating is dumb because Die Hard five went back to rated R and it was even worse. So no, I, I, Die Hard four is the one with Justin Long, right? I've seen none of the diehards. Okay, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that's live for your diehard, and like I had Was a. Wasn't that the one that had um, Captain Boomerang in it? Y- yes. To, who is Captain Boomerang again? <laughs> it's just, Australian just... guy. I can't remember his name right now. Uh, um, I know it had Kevin Smith in it, and uh, like when he came on screen, Jai Courtney. Oh, oh, Jai Courtney. That was five, I believe. Gotcha. Uh. But uh, Kevin Smith was in four, and he was like this hacker or whatever. And like the whole point of lifting. I've seen people talk about that scene. It's the exposition dump. (laughs) It's really, it's really dumb. But it's also dumb fun too. And like, like, I feel like that's like the whole point of Die Hard. And like, even like, I don't want to say this about Star Wars, but like, I don't want to say it's dumb. I don't want to say it's dumb fun, but it's like you're supposed to have fun. It's like don't think about it like too hard about it. And I'll, since we're on Last Jedi just a little bit, I'll just like say like my piece a little bit with that is that some of the arguments that I've had, it, like they would always bring up uh, uh, Mark Hamill's, like why Mark Hamill hates the Last, the Last Jedi because everything about his character happens off screen. 
and I feel like that's the like the problem, especially like in the world of film criticism now, is that you either you, it's either you over-explain and the movie is bad, or you under-explain and the movie is bad. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's it, it there's like there's no there's no middle ground. I personally like it like when films under-explain because that allows me to kind of like be more creative and kind of like think of like like why is why is Luke like acting like the way he is? Why is like yeah. Uh, why, even like in something like Coco, like, like what? Why is like Miguel like like what was his love for music? Like why did he love music like so much? It's like it, like obviously like the film like explains that, but I was just trying to tie it back to like the film. Yeah, we're no, about, I think you're but... absolutely right, and I think that we actually talked about this in the most recent episode of One with the Films. Uh, mm-hmm. Shameless plug. Um, <laughs> we talked about um, like an, a Western remake of a foreign film. And one of the big things is the difference between the two is one of them is very, very clear in its outcome. And it goes, this was the bad guy. This was the good guy. This is how the film ended. That's the mm-hmm. Western version. But Infernal Affairs very much kind of leaves you to, like, I wonder what it must be like to live with this afterwards. Like, this is, like, there, there's more conversation there. And mm-hmm. it's funny that, like, um, like, foreign cinema is more inclined to let you sit with something mm-hmm. and go, you take whatever you want to take away from this. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about how we also did an episode on Legend and I watched the European cut of Legend and it's a lot more like open, for lack of a better word. Like it's a lot less like exposition dump heavy. And when they screened that for Western audiences, they didn't like it. So they went back and reshot stuff and they put like a text crawl at the start and the ending is much more closed off. And it's like, yeah, good guy, bad guy, blah, blah. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something that is is more common in in foreign cinema. Why why do you think that is? Do you think it's because white people are dumb? I'm kidding. Well, it I I wouldn't say dumb. I would say (laughs) that that Western audiences are more spoiled than audiences like overseas, just because Mm. the media that we get, especially now, like we're so used to having something like at our fingertips. And yeah. the way media is like, I, I don't know. Cause I haven't been, like, been outside like the States, but from what I hear is that like, like, like the, like the filmmaking like business is like, like, like it's profitable, like, like in other countries, but it's nothing like Hollywood. Like yeah. Hollywood is like the big, leagues, Hollywood like, is a make, machine. Yeah. Hollywood, like ho- Hollywood is like a machine and like other countries, it's like they pump money into it, but it's usually like they get like, one or two great films like a year and everything is it's kind of like mm-hmm. everything is kind of like fine like is is yeah would, would you agree with that or just i absolutely would um and i would say that i don't think that filmmakers would often come to the table going i want to make a film that spells everything out for my audience mm-hmm. right like i don't think that's the case i think that a lot of the time um particularly your non-a24 studios mm-hmm. um will very much be focused on how can I make the most profit possible? But mm-hmm. then your more indie studios will be like, I just want to make the best film possible. Um, and when you're trying to make the most profit, you need to cater to a very wide audience mm-hmm. um, where the amount of people that are interested in watching a film with the expectation that I'm going to, like, I want to think about something. I want to be questioned. I want it to yeah, have me question my, my morals, my, my everything. Mm-hmm. is a lot less than the people who want to just use it as an escape and just go and have a couple of hours where they have a bit of fun. Um, so, yeah, like it's not necessarily that um, white people are dumb. Um, <laughs> I think We're it's just spoiled. It's a very spoiled. wide audience. <laughs> um, and, yeah, like 
when you're trying to meet the widest target demographic possible, you need to simplify your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. And just like Amer- just Western audiences, just being obsessed with like box office too. On how like I think like one of the most the one of the things like I hate the most, especially like on social media and how like you always see like box office numbers like oh it made sixty million that means it's a flop, and I'm like. Yeah. And I'm like, just because like it came in under budget, or it came, like just because it didn't like make make back its money, it doesn't mean like it's a bad movie. It's because yeah. it, it, there's multiple reasons why it didn't like make its money back. Uh, like it could be like poorly marketed, or just like the, the fact that like streaming services just just I mean, push out we, movies like like uh just like a like a, like a t-shirt cannon they just yeah. fire like movies out just like crazy and people just forget about it and that, we that's about, um we were talking about the woman king just before and that's mm-hmm. one that like was a box office flop mm-hmm. um to my understanding i haven't actually looked at the numbers but my understanding is that it didn't do well mm-hmm. um but it was awesome like it was yeah. incredible um but it's one of those things where like i guess maybe the studio didn't know how to market it effectively and now we're here you know it's right. like you have there are so many films that have become cult classics um again i mean even look back in the day um it's been like blade runner that like flopped originally and then it wasn't until re-edits and re-releases later that it became a, a cult classic and they were like oh no there's a real version of this film that i can watch that is great um blade runner 2047 2049 2049 yeah, Blade Runner as well is mm-hmm. another one, like like 20, 2049, is another one that was a box office flop, but it mm-hmm. is a brilliant film. But it's also not going to be for everyone. And it is, again, it's not foreign cinema, but it's coming from a, a French director um, in Denis. Yes, yeah, Denis. Um, and so he has a different, um, what's the word? Like he's presenting that film through a different lens. Mm-hmm. And through his lens, and French cinema is beautiful as well. Um, so you do get... A very different experience for sure for sure uh yeah uh totally but like kind of like going a little bit back to like coco Mm. and like having like like a different like like a a experience is that uh you kind of had like this like a pretty much like the same experience really like for you naf like like even though like it is like directed by lee unkrich like 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 I don't want to put him down by saying this, but like he is white, but he is like directing like a film about. I don't want to insult you, but you are white. <laughs> That's beautiful. But uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's just like it, it shows. Like if you do your homework, like with Coco, like it, like the film can still turn out like like decently well, and like yeah. have like the right people like behind the scenes. I have watched some video essays on this um, mm-hmm. because, yeah, it is interesting to go, okay, why does this film feel like it was not made by a white person? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it was. Uh, and it, it goes to show that, yeah, like they put a lot of effort into that. Like they went and lived in that space. They went and experienced Day of the Dead and not just mm-hmm. like going and watching it and going, oh, it's pretty. That's all I'm going to take away from it. Like they understood the culture so deeply mm-hmm. Um that it, it it doesn't feel like pandering when you're watching the movie. It feels like again, if I'd never looked up the director, I would have assumed this was made by a Latin American man. Right. Uh, uh, unlike uh, unlike a uh, like I just watched Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom uh, in yeah. anticipation for like 
the newest one. I won't say the fifth one because there will always be three films in my eyes. But that film, like it's directed by Steven Spielberg, and you can totally tell it's directed by Steven Spielberg because some of the things Monkey that like, brains. some some of the things that happen, like what you just said in in that movie, is just very shocking. Mm. Like that Steven Spielberg directed like this film just belittling like South Asian like and South Asian like and it's like Indian like people and yeah the fact that like I was making like this joke but it's 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 I wish it was a joke because that would mean it wasn't didn't actually happen the fact that Steven Spielberg made Temple of Doom and then got hired on to make the color purple like right after it is is shocking very shocking. Like, I don't know. It's Interesting, like... too, because when you look at both sides of the coin, you've got mm-hmm. him arguably not handling um, aspects of Temple of Doom very well. Mm-hmm. But when you give him something that is deeply ingrained in his culture, like Schindler's List, mm-hmm. um, he... It's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> like, ex- it's, exactly. <laughs> like, it's it just goes to show that it's like, not necessarily like a, a mentality of like stay in your lane, right? Because I think people should be allowed to explore and express however they like. Mm-hmm. But like, arguably, when you give someone something that they know so well, they're gonna do a great job with it. Like, they're gonna do the best job possible. I think I was watching a, a video on um on YouTube Shorts the other day, and it was Denzel Washington talking about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about like the culture behind a film, and there's something that you kind of you have to know. Um, that just comes across. I think that's something that's quite common in um, even watching like films that like, for example, like Ryan Coogler directs or um, like Spike Lee's stuff Mm -hmm. um, that is very like core to like the the black experience that it's like it, like you couldn't have somebody else tell that story. You couldn't have Steven Spielberg go in and direct, do the right thing. You know, it wouldn't wouldn't work. To be, to be honest, I would kind of like to see that film (laughs) to see what Steven Spielberg would do with it. Just uh, as look, uh, I don't want Steven Spielberg to do it. If we were gonna do that, I would put JJ Abrams there. <laughs> Speak, all right, JJ Abrams, let's see what you can do. Give me black clansmen. Just lens flare, just everywhere. That's that's what. <laughs> just. Oh man. Uh, oh, man. Um, uh, but uh, we were talking about um, also the the film sort of starting to dip in in its second act a little bit, mm-hmm. and I like I said, I found that with the way that it. The, the, the second act is sort of beginning as you're getting into this new world where mm-hmm. you've already been explained the first part and now I've been introduced to this other part of the world. And I can definitely understand where you're coming from with the mentality of like, because I know where it's going, I kind of want to get there now. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'd found that because I'm always so immersed in what they're trying to show me mm-hmm. that it still works for me and it doesn't actually um, dip in my enjoyment at that part at all. I'm still maybe because I relate to the movie so much, I'm still like a wide-eyed child sitting there and going, oh, wow, so that's what death feels like. <laughs> so death is so colorful and just like, and so inviting. Yeah. And I'm just like, I, I'm when I said when, when I said that it dipped like in the second act, I think that was a little bit too harsh. Just, uh, just because like I was still having like a good time like with Coco at that point. Yeah. It was just like, like you just said, it's just like, I will know what was going to happen next and i was just kind of like i I was kind of like expecting like it to happen like sooner like him Mm -hmm. like coco or or miguel to actually like find out but um yeah 
like it's not like a dig uh, on the film at all. Like I still rated this five stars. <laughs> it, it, I, I we need to get like that 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 rating up for Coco, so it's in the top yeah. to, top two fifty again. So it's actually so heartbreaking that it gets out of there. Yeah, it, it's uh, it it will come back. It will come back. Yeah, I think it's just because Spider Verse. Everyone's just loving that, and it shot well, right to number Spider-Man one. Spider-Verse was so... literally number one on Letterboxd. I saw that the other day. I was going to make a video about it on TikTok, and then I was like, nah, I won't. And then I come across another video that had like 500,000 likes, and I was like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and now I can't feel – I don't feel like I can make it because I feel like I'm stealing someone else's content now, even though I had the idea before I saw that video. Just do it. Just do it. That's, that's, what, yeah. I, that's, that's what I've come to terms, even though if you've seen it done before, just, just do it. Because even if you didn't see it, it's been done before. So mm. – the only thing that's stopping you now is because you saw it. So just, that's true. just do it. Just do it. Like what Nike says, just do it. But <laughs> um, I know we've kind of been bouncing around like a lot, like just talking about films, but we're, 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 we're real lovers. So, just, <laughs> but we're real um, lovers and we're real lovers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> happy pride. pride Molly. Happy pride. Happy pride. I uh, love yeah, <laughs> I love it here. I love it here. Even even in the land of death. Even in the land of death. Um, <laughs> it's so nice. Yeah. Uh, but one thing that I would like to talk about with this film a little bit is mm-hmm. I had mentioned before that like the music itself. Like mm-hmm. I like I know all of these songs back to back. I've watched the film in English. I've watched it in Spanish. <laughs> um, I've watched the um, the live production where Miguel had kind of like aged up to the point where he couldn't sing his songs anymore so they got his little brother to come in and sing the songs for him so they got oh, that's adorable. <laughs> miguel's that's adorable. actor's little brother to play him on the live action one that's on disney plus keeping um, in the keeping in the family yeah Keep it at- but like ben bratt sings his own songs miguel's mm-hmm. actor who i can't remember his name right now um sings his own songs as well so like it's mm-hmm. it's very impressive mm-hmm. I, yeah it's like i think that's it's a it's very impressive like when you can get like actors like like being authentic with like their characters and like kind of like singing along with it. Cause like when, when you can tell, like, especially in musicals when songs are like dubbed in and yeah. it just doesn't feel right. And I feel like particularly the Disney Renaissance era, that was a thing, you know, like mm-hmm. you didn't have the actor singing and now you've got most of these films. Like even if you look at like Encanto as well, like the entire cast is singing their own songs. You go to the, the, what was it? The, is it the Tonys? And they're doing a, um, a live action production of it and they've got stephanie beatrice there singing in person mm-hmm. you're like oh yeah no nah, it's it's her <laughs> right that's uh it, it's it's great um but um it, going back like to the songs I, I i feel like we have to talk about like we have already we talked about it a little bit but remember me on just mm-hmm. like what the when the, what that song means at the beginning of the film how it's supposed to be like this it's very uplifting like like song and the, like the yep. way De La Cruz kind of goes out, like the, like he wants to be remembered. But the what he, what's Hector when you find out that Hector like wrote all of all, all of the songs and you find out what Remember Me was that who who is actually it was for, bastardized was... by the colonizers. The, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. But you're it right. was like, it was the, bastardized the context, by capitalism by capitalism literally so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um the 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 context or not the context but yeah the implications of that song early in the film and everybody going this is the best song ever and then yeah just knowing that Ernesto has come he's killed Hector and then taken his song and just kind of like it's 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 not right obviously mm-hmm. um but even you've got little things throughout the film where um 
that song and how it's been presented and how everybody knows it has upset Hector so much that he now hates that song that was mm-hmm. a uh, a ballad of love for his daughter and his family who he could no longer see. Like, mm-hmm. like this person has ruined that song for this man. And even when um, they're going to perform um, at the, like, you know, in the, in the plaza and Miguel's like, I'm, I'm going to do remember me. And uh, Hector's just like, like, nah, don't do that song. That song sucks. And he's like, okay, Boca Loca. And he's like, that's the song. And it's like, he, he wrote the song. Like, mm-hmm. of course he's going to know it. Like, yeah. Um, that aspect of the stories, like, again, it's, it's, it's presenting it to us through Miguel's lens. So until you go back and rewatch it again and you look at the animation on like Hector's face as he's going, nah, not that song. And you just, you see pain mm-hmm. <laughs> that you don't see the first time you're watching it. You're just like, oh, of course he doesn't like it. It's like, he's playing it smart because he knows if you play the popular song, you're not going to stand out. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it's like he, his Hector's legacy got sold out, like literally mm-hmm. got sold out. And I, I, and I feel like as like, we're both artists. I feel like, like when we have something that we've created and someone else comes along and kind of like, does like a, like a weird, like, like copy of it or like edit of it. And like, we, we in a way we're kind of like oh i don't really want to like do this anymore like this is yeah like it's it's not it's not like it's not a part of us anymore and like like when that when i saw that like happen on screen i like i felt that because it's like like because as an artist I, like like you uh artists kind of like have like this one-to-one like feeling like for each other because we're all kind of like going through like the same like motions despite like of like how 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 we grew up like artists kind of like have like that same uh like we we all kind of like experience depression in some sort of way and just kind of like yeah and just like how how we create we kind of experience and in, in pretty much like the same way and it's so like seeing like hector just kind of like crushed on like the song that he wrote for like his sister just kind of just being just just like a hack just being hacked was just like it it, it broke my heart and just just like it like i, I felt that felt that yeah no you're absolutely right and yeah it's, again it's one of those things that until you watch the movie for a second time you kind of you don't like they're all his songs all these mm-hmm. songs are his songs um and it still had a good voice but he wasn't the artist you know he was mm-hmm. the performer right um yeah and it was kind of like like i know that there's kind of like this like with Elvis too, like a lot of Elvis songs weren't technically his because yeah, that was what that was the big thing about like Boz Lerman Elvis was that like he stole a lot of like the like the sound of music like from black from black artists and the fact that he profited off that it was kind of like Dela Cruz was kind of like like that that it was he was basically like the the Elvis for like for 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 like this universe and I'm like yeah it's. It, it it's heartbreaking like when you see that happen but mm. um but yeah um yeah uh, anyways um do we have any like final thoughts on like coco like well, just like all I together think that, um like obviously it is one of the greatest pixar films ever made and i could mm-hmm. talk about this film for like 4 hours <laughs> um but one of my favorite things is that um every like kind of main character in this film has their own arc a little bit right mm-hmm. and every single character that connects with Miguel learns something from him and he learns something from them. 
And it's not very often that you come across a story that's, again, so well-structured, so well-told in the sense that even towards the end, you've still got Mama Imelda going, um, go back, you're not going to play music. And it's until he shows her what music means for her that mm-hmm. she can then finally let go of that. And she's seeing you know, the love of her life going to disappear in front of her and going, okay, like no conditions, like go do whatever. And the way that that, culminates in the ending because that could be the climax of the film you know it could very much be kind of sad like it's all good go and he goes home and he just kind of does whatever from there but the mm-hmm. fact that the film still continues for another what 20 minutes post that mm-hmm. of him going home mama coco waking up and then the year later and the song at the end that just ties it all together is so beautiful because mm-hmm. um, i think that's another thing that the film does great where we get the year later and we're back on dia de los muertos mm-hmm. and You've got Mama Imelda and Hector, and they're there together. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's beautiful. And mm-hmm. the camera just pans to the side, and Coco's there too. And there's a, a sadness there because you're like, she died. Like, she's dead now. Right. But it's a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. It <laughs> like, told- I'm going to cry thinking about it, where it's just like, watching her wake up and sing the song with Miguel and watching her daughter... Um, like witness that and 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 experience that is just it's so powerful um and even just that moment where miguel thinks he's failed and his dad is like why have you done this we're looking for you everywhere and he just turns around and just cries and i'm just like man like it's, it's very similar to that moment in toy story 3 of it's over we don't have anything let's just hold hands it's done mm-hmm and imagine the trauma that would have had on that kid if he wasn't able to fix that at that point. Like, oh my god! Right, especially everything that he's went through, like all yeah. everything that he knows, and then like he knows all this, but like his family doesn't. Like, and even even if he were to tell his family, his family wouldn't t- technically believe him. They'll be like, "Oh, you just yeah. hit your head. You just hit your head, and like you saw, and you you saw Hector. Maybe he did. Like, Maybe he did. <laughs> well, but yeah, he but on a trip. I um, think what what you what you just described about like Hector kind of like rediscovering like his love for like uh for um what's her name again the Imelda uh, Imelda uh is that Imelda um, Imelda okay (laughs) but uh I I I love that where you can rediscover each other's love like in the afterlife and I'm just like such a beautiful like I, I'm crying right now. <laughs> just like yeah. it's, 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 it's so beautiful. The one thing, the one issue that I have with the ending, it's kind of funny. It, don't, don't worry, it's kind of funny. Is Dela Cruz obviously is like he's like he's hated now because he he killed, he murdered someone. Really, he 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 murdered someone. And everyone knows now, but he still has a statue, even though it says "Don't remember me." Just burn it's it down. Me. Just, yeah. Just burn it down. Don't have a. Don't even like say his name or anything like that. It's just like yeah. It's like having the the Confederate statues up and being like, we need to remember our history. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's exactly um, like that. Yeah, no, think. you're right. Um, I remember. I, I think that that's something else. Um, that, I think the film does really well is, watching the villain get their comeuppance outside of just we won, but mm-hmm. like not just we won, but you lost as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so well done, mm-hmm. um, and the way that it fits his character of you know them being able to just 
let's just put the camera on and just film and watch him drop a child from a tower. <laughs> like, of course the people were going to turn on him. And then the, um, the, what's the word? The poetry of him hitting the bell and the bell crushing him again is just, mm. right. Closing the loop. Yeah, it's like, they close, yeah, it's like the end of the departed. When you see, uh, have you seen the departed? Uh, not in a really long time. Like spoilers for the departed. Just people, um, but yeah, it's that so. that final scene of um, Matt Damon coming home and Mark Wahlberg being in the apartment and going, and then just leaving, and you're just like, oh, I, <laughs> I could have survived without that ending, but like, there's something satisfying, and like he got he got his, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, um, um, and it's great to see that in film. Sometimes I think sometimes we were actually talking about it on that podcast episode. We were like, it might seem a little silly to close that loop, but like, sometimes you just go, yep, that was the right call. And I think right. that, that was very much the case with this film. So he went, he he went out with the bell, ringing the bell, and then yep. he went out again, ringing the bell. But yeah, Nuff, I could talk with you about Coco and about films like all day. You're a love, lovely human being. I, I love you. you to death. Uh, but we should start wrapping up. Uh, Nuff, where could people find you online? Yeah, well, I mean, if you're watching us live uh, on YouTube, you can stay on this channel. <laughs> That's got all of our episodes there. Um, the one with the films podcast is available on demand anywhere you find your podcast, so Spotify, uh, Apple Music, all that kind of stuff. And we've got a bunch of episodes there um, that, again, recommend that you watch the film before you listen to the podcast because we dive mm-hmm. into deep spoilers. But mm-hmm. it will give you a lot of films to add to your watch list. Um, and you can also find that watch list on uh, Letterboxd too. Um, the best place to find me is if you go through Instagram or TikTok at On Second Thought. There's the little uh, linked, what do you call them? Link tree. Link trees. That's what it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has all of the places you can find me. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I'm on YouTube. I'm on um, Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's got links to our YouTube channels and to uh, the podcast as well, where you can find where we're doing most of our stuff. Yeah. Um, that, that's a bit. Yeah. And, I'll, and of thank course- you so much again for, um, for inviting me on, particularly to talk about this film. I know we were trying to plan a film to talk about. And mm-hmm. when the second this one came up, I was like, that's the one. And right. it was maybe six months ago, we talked about this coming up. So exactly. Um, very, very glad we finally got to do it. Yeah. And I, I, I would love to be back if you'd have me again. Yeah. Um, I, I would love to have you back anytime. Like you can come back on for Umber- Umberto D that we're going to be, that's the next film that we're going to be watching like on the Letterbox series. Uh, cool. But um, I haven't seen it. It's going to be a first-time watch for me. It's in the Criterion. It, it's in the Criterion collection. So for anyone listening, that's the next film we're going to be watching. But you can follow me anywhere: letter, Letterbox, Twitter, Instagram, at TikTok, YouTube at Marley Loves Film. My hash. It's mirrored. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My username: Marley Loves Film. That's pretty much everywhere. I lock that up. I feel pretty. I, I feel really proud for locking that up. Like, yeah, that, I thought look. I had a good name until I tried different social platforms, and I was like, "Oh, damn it!" <laughs> yeah, that—that's to be honest. Marley loves film took years and years for me to like come up with this name because every single thing that I I plugged into like Google, uh, someone else had it, like Real Lovers yeah. podcast, and I was just like, when when Real Lovers was 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 there, and there was no other podcast called called that, I was just like, you know what? Go on the Google domains, buy everything up, and I'm just like lock it in, lock it in now. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm like, I mean, that was us with uh, one with the films as well. Where I kind of like came up with the name, and I was like, Keegan, we can call it this. And mm-hmm. then we started looking it up, and there was nothing. And I was like, it feels, I don't know, like we're Star Wars fans. One with the Force, like mm-hmm. I, one with the films. Like it just feels like it was right, and I I couldn't believe that it was not taken. Right, 
but yeah, you can uh, follow me everywhere like ev- where, where I mentioned. You can listen to this podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, we were there. Uh, follow us on socials. You see it at the bottom of the screen if you're watching here on YouTube. And I'm Marley Silverbrand for The Real Lovers Podcast. And I'm Naf <laughs> <laughs> for The Real Lovers Podcast today as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and keep watching films. That's all we have to say. <laughs> see you guys.